0: Nicole
1: and welcome to That Engineering Chat the podcast that chats to leaders in the electronics and manufacturing industry. How are you this glorious morning my friend
0: Caroline? <laughs> I'm fine thank you how are you?
1: I'm good. Yes, I'm good. Reflecting on our chat with Paul it was uh, very interesting to have a chat with him uh recently and talk to him about how they've been coping at Oriental Motor and dealing with the pandemic being a Japanese company and how that's fed through and over into their UK operation. Um, He was very informative, wasn't he? Yes,
0: and they've seen it from both ends, haven't they? Japan was at the start, Mm. and Oriental Motor UK had to be flexible and change it around to the UK stage of the the pandemic. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting the uh, modern supply chain that highlighted how that works and uh, and how reliant we are on it around the world in today's industry.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, they have set the bar very high. I think he was saying, wasn't he, about lead times, that some of the other lead times through this pandemic have been, you know, really, really long, and they've managed to keep them relatively short, the turnaround still, which is, which is great news for their customers. And they seem to be doing a lot to... Um, you know, work closer with their customers through these difficult times, don't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, they've, they've done well to uh, to face all of that and, and still get some new customers on board, some of them that he hasn't had mm. face-to-face meetings with, but he's still getting uh, business, which is phenomenal, really. And
1: very keen to, you know, see see more automation being used in a positive way, hasn't he, going forwards, which um, if I get the image of Terminator out of my head, then um, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, You know, how we can move forwards with
0: that. Yes, I mean, they're obviously doing a lot there with um, the AZ series that they have with the new communications Mm. protocol. That's just going to accelerate automation. And Paul was saying Mm. that the pandemic's just really accelerated what was going to be happening anyway so that was quite interesting
1: yeah it's fast-forwarded a lot for a lot of people in a very slow way but anyway we don't want to spoil anything so let's listen to the episode shall we
0: So how are you I think we spoke at the beginning of this pandemic um, and then it was a bit of a just a bit of a novelty be in isolation uh, how are you feeling now um
2: yeah I mean it's certainly a change that's for sure um I, I think like many of us I have a very active life generally speaking between seeing friends and family and activities and the like um, and I certainly miss that social life that's for sure um of course we can do things so. You know pick up the phone or use things like zoom has, has become very popular recently of course um and the various other platforms that do the same sort of job but it's not quite the same um it's very hard to play a board game over zoom i can tell you that for sure <laughs> <laughs> As, especially once you've had a glass of wine and nobody's quite sure where that piece was supposed to go um <laughs> So um, on the more active side of things, uh, like a lot of people, I'm really missing the gym these days. Um, And uh, I do a lot of uh, archery as well. And and archery GB have had to shut down everything during this period for very sensible reasons, of course. And so uh, I'm missing that quite a lot. Um, But uh, you change your habits, don't you? Mm. Um, So I've been doing a lot of walks out in the forest and and places like that with my partner and uh, making the most of it that I can. And and I have to say, I've been absolutely loving it. I I can see myself doing a lot more of that even after this whole period ends.
1: So do you, I mean, with that in mind, Paul, do you think it sounds like you're managing to maintain a work-life balance very well? Because that's, I think that's the big thing for a lot of people who possibly didn't work from home before all of this. Some of us did, some of us didn't. Um, but certainly all of us are doing more of that now. And and how are you, you know, how are you finding that? Obviously you're enjoying the walks and um things more than the board games, but how are you finding that work life balance? Because it's a lot to juggle, isn't it? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of truth in that. Um, I mean, on, on the one hand, there's some real benefits to it. Um, I don't have to do my usual commute to the office, um, which is which is very good. Uh, my, my commute is uh, about 30 minutes each way each day. So not, not as bad as some people's, of course, but it's still a chunk of your day. Um, and... Um, so I also miss seeing my colleagues in the office, because um, you, you miss a lot of that daily interaction, those, those little bits of information that get passed around that you don't even realise you're taking in when you're taking them in. Um, however, it's, uh, it is working okay. Um, we're well able to work remotely. A lot of my colleagues already work remotely, even before this started. And technically speaking, I, I could have been field-based as well, but because I live quite close to the office, it made more sense for me to go in on a daily basis. Um... The actual transition itself, it was more trying to get used to the, 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 the bizarrely short commute um, of about 12 feet from my bed to my office desk. Um, <laughs> it's a very different way of doing things. And uh, I will admit that maybe for the first month or so, I was working about half the day in my dressing gown. <laughs> but um, that's, uh, that's a bad habit to fall into, and it doesn't put you in the right mindset. So these days, I try and make it as though I'm going to the office and get up and be in here and, and ready to go. And um, yeah, it's just... Feels like normal now um, when things go back to more normal working I think I could see this carrying on mm-hmm. actually um, like I say some of my colleagues already do so mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's not that big a transition really
1: and did oriental um, motor put lots in place to ensure that it was you know it was a smooth transition over to I mean how, how did you sort of work around that what, what were the sort of measures that they put in place to make it a bit easier working from home yeah. um,
2: it was actually a very easy transition. Oriental Motor were very, very supportive. Um, we have a lot of staff working from home anyway in our various locations in Europe. It's it's pretty much normal for, for them. Um, my other colleagues who work on the technical sales side of things, they already work from home anyway, because they're based well away from our main UK office. Um, and so it wasn't very difficult at all. Um, a couple of our m- uh, permanent office-based staff they just needed a, a home working kit and a laptop which was organized very quickly uh, it was a very smooth transition
1: brilliant that's good that's good to hear
0: I, I read on the um, the website that there's been uh, whilst you're carrying on as normal and the production facilities in Japan weren't affected um, but there's been some shipping obviously has been affected with this pandemic but have you managed to get around that Oh. Um,
2: yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's been a, a bit of a shock on that. Um, basically, the Japanese government played some quite serious restrictions on um, the movement of uh, airplanes um, in and out of Japan. And all of our products are manufactured in Japan. We've got nine uh, manufacturing facilities over there for our various different products. So that impacted us quite hard at the beginning. Um, we, um, we had to look at the best way to get things out. And at that time, the only option was to get things by ship. Um, now, normally our, our product lead times are pretty fixed and pretty short. If it's an item that's held in stock in our handling facility in Dusseldorf, um, then you're looking at about three to four working day lead time. If it's an item that has to be um, made to order, then you would be looking at about 12 to 14 day lead time. And we went from that to eight plus weeks pretty much immediately, Um, which is far from ideal. We weren't the only manufacturers in this situation Uh, and and actually we've heard from our customers um, who use products from a few different manufacturers that some were affected far worse than we were actually, which is unfortunate. Um, Some lead times went into the kind of 20 plus weeks bracket and fortunately we never got into that. Mm. I know, it's crazy. That is crazy. Um, Yeah, especially when you're a manufacturer trying to get your own uh, orders out the door. Mm. Um, we have managed to get it back down to a slightly more sensible, approximately four weeks, and we are also doing um, shipments of our core products to our warehouse in in Düsseldorf, so that we can. Um, supply at least some of our core products on that normal short lead time of three to four days Mm. Um, it's just not possible with everything because we've got 70,000 plus products in the UK so um, yes it's been a bit of an impact but um, we are finding our ways around it and that's 20 uh,
1: 20 weeks down to four weeks I mean that's quite that's quite isn't it that's a big difference in timescales you know
2: for, for you guys yeah, actually, we were lucky. We we were never the ones getting to the twenty-week lead time. We heard that some other manufacturers were in that boat from mm. from our own customers. We we went to about eight weeks, and then now we're back down to four. Brilliant. Um, but um, we're taking measures on a on a daily basis, trying to get to uh, back down to our more normal lead time as and when we can. And Hopefully, that should resume sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was going going to ask, how did you? managed to just shave some of those days or hours off were you increasing warehousing capacity or, or what were you able to do?
2: Um, I'll be honest, I don't know the absolute in and outs of it um, because that's all been handled by our head office in Japan. But my understanding of what's happened is that the initial impact was because we had a very well-established route out of Japan with a Japanese airline for our products into Europe. And when that airline was grounded by the, the Japanese government, that, that was just completely close to us immediately. Mm. So the first thing that we could do straight away was... To take something by freight on, on boat um, and since making that first stage just to get some product out of Japan we've now got a, uh, a deal with another airline so that we can actually get more freight out but like I say it's still a longer lead time than we would generally have okay. you now although I like I say I, I do think a lot of other manufacturers have been affected as well and some of them unfortunately worse than we have so in comparison to the rest of the market I think we're actually still uh, a pretty good lead time right now.
0: Mm. Mm. So you had to think on your feet and try and find alternatives quite quite quickly. Yes,
2: absolutely. But fortunately, we are a, a, a multinational company and um, Oriental Motors got a very strong name and good reputation in Japan. And um, they were able to negotiate a, a new deal for us to, uh, to facilitate getting that stock out in a more sensible uh, fashion and lead time. So uh,
0: Oriental Motors business is, is based on the manufacturing and the automation that must have been affected by this pandemic with the shutdown in industries. But how has that affected your order books?
2: Um, yeah, obviously, it has had an effect. Um, it's the, the whole industry has, uh, has, has had ripples through it because of what's going on right now. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, though, actually. Uh, some areas are definitely up on a normal year, um, particularly the key business sectors uh, medical supplies manufacturers, laboratory equipment manufacturers who are involved with scanners and testing and analysis machines, and of course the food industry. Um, I understand that home meals and ready meals are booming at this time, and a number of our key customers just simply can't keep up with demand. Um, One of my customers was saying that for this time of year, he would normally have orders going to around the start of September, and he's got orders all the way into February at this point. Um, so, some areas yeah. really are booming. Mm. Um, and as a company, we're we up on last year. Mm. Um, we're at about 104% of last year at this time, um, which was a big surprise to me, actually, because my assumption was that we'd be down because you see how the industry's going. But in fact, no, in, certain industries are propping us up in a, in a big way. Unfortunately, of course, some businesses have been impacted quite heavily and some of those businesses are our customers and it's it's really sad to see. Um, You know, fortunately, I don't think any of our customers have actually gone under in this time, um, although some of them are definitely suffering. And, um, of course, we don't like to see anybody really suffer in that way. And we certainly hope that as things come back closer to normal, they're able to rebound and and come back to full strength as soon as they possibly can um, for themselves and their employees and, and of course, their end customers as well.
0: Were there any other uh, things that had to be introduced to accommodate this this weird time that we're living in?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, um, actually... As I mentioned before, um, as far as our day-to-day work is concerned, not a huge amount has changed. Um, However, some of our plans for the year went out of the window pretty much immediately. Um, We were preparing for the Drives and Controls show which was supposed to take place in April Mm -hmm. and was postponed to January. Um, We'd done a lot of PR around the show and things of that nature Um, and it was going to be our biggest show in the UK. Um, So we obviously had put in a, a lot of work for that, about six months' worth of preparation and planning, Mm -hmm. and that's now completely on pause. Sure, it'll happen in a few months' time, uh, providing uh, everything is is good to go at that point. Um, But it did mean that the structure of the year that we had planned around the activity for the show and then the um, follow-up from the show with our customers and potentially new customers is now on the back foot. As far as our factories are concerned, uh, Japan responded very, very well to the impact of the pandemic and and our factories are uh, in the same boat generally as the Japanese manufacturing sector in general. Um, Some stringent safety measures um, are in place for for the safety of of our staff, Um, but we've also taken some quite big steps to make sure that even though um, our staff safety have to be looked after, um, the demands of our customers are met as well so that we don't lose too much in terms of our um, production capability and lead time in that time. And in fact, as I mentioned before, we're getting the product out the door. It's more external factors that are affecting our lead time than, than our own manufacturing at this point.
1: It's actually, I think, the way that Orientals have been reacting to things is is a is a true testament of how you deal with things very quickly on a you know you are very reactive to what's going on because um i think what has been really encouraging about this sector particularly is how people have adapted really quickly because it has been huge the, the impact just on the just on the shipping in and out of the country has been massive hasn't it and there's very little you can do do about that but it sounds like you've you know gone over and above for that and that's that's Something to be very proud of and shout about, I would say. Okay, so have there been any changes or adaptions that you've had to put in place as a result of, you know, everything that's been disrupted?
2: Yes, of course. Um, primarily because the, the the main concern is getting the product to our customers and not affecting or impacting their business as a result of any issues with supply. Mm. So as as you just touched on there, a lot of it is outside of our control, so we can only work with what we've got. Yeah. And um, the way we've done that really is managing our customers' expectations. Having an open and honest conversation with our customer about the reality of the supply situation as it exists on a daily basis, Mm. because it can it can literally change from day to day. Mm. Um, And proactively contacting our customers who have things like frame orders or, you know, um, that we're expecting or anticipating orders from just to let them know that the normal lead time won't be. Um, won't be possible Mm. Um, and as a result they can plan the work on their end and their resource so that they can manage it best for their end customer uh, manage their internal resource as far as rotation of staff where there's limited staffing in factories at the moment Um, so that's that's been a really key thing communication and support of customers is, is first and foremost and for those customers who are really desperate um, putting whatever strings we can just to dig them out of the hole if they if they absolutely need something urgently we we have got a very good relationship with our number of our customers so on a, on a couple of occasions we've even contacted one customer to pull some of their spare stock of our items to another customer temporarily uh just to dig you know just to, to get them back on their feet again and get them able to get that product out the door um
1: you've always you know had very flexible response and great customer support so You know, what what changes have you put in place and how have you been finding that? I mean, for example, this chat we're having now, we're having to do on Zoom rather than face to face. And that comes with its own, um, you know, its own challenges. So how how is it you're finding Mm. that with customer support? Because I imagine that's been quite challenging.
2: Mm. No, indeed. Um, fortunately, it's actually not too big of a change for us. Um, just simply to the, the nature of, um, of of what we do on a daily basis, remote contact is is pretty much normal. Um, I myself, for example, have a um, a territory of twenty counties um, mm. on the south of England. So that's that's any county that the M4 goes through, uh, and any county south of that, which takes me all the way from Kent to South Wales to Cornwall. Wow. Um, yeah. So if I'm if I'm dealing with customers in various areas of the country I I can't be there with them every day so we always use the phone anyway we we do occasionally use a video call um, but video calls um, they're often not needed it's more often just to to talk through the um, CAD designs or Mm. sketches of what they're looking at um, and uh, and going over things that way Um, I'll be honest as well a lot of these factories they are very big um, metal buildings which mm. kind of work like a faraday cage so often you can't get a good enough signal whether it's wi-fi or mobile down in the shop floor um to to actually do that kind of video call and plus they can be very very noisy places so so just good old-fashioned phone and uh, an email of, uh, of documentation can can be fallen back on quite strongly yeah and there, there are some new customers I've I've gained over this period where they've been a customer of mine for three months and I've never met them and um, that's not anything that would ever normally happen. Mm. I'd certainly normally see them after the first initial conversations. But right now, it's just not possible. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes down the line, of course.
1: Yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? It's, that it's going to be sort of almost the other way around now, because we're used to sort of initially meeting someone face-to-face and then having subsequent conversations with them, maybe not face-to-face. And now it's almost the other way around, isn't it? Because you finally meet someone when you come out of lockdown quite a momentous occasion when you actually meet someone when you've just been talking to them on yeah, uh you know yeah. on on zoom or, or whatever else we've been using uh well it sounds like you're doing a very good job on that paul oh
0: well thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> but there was one news story that you were probably talking to uh new and established customers about was the uh introduction of the uh, az series the closed loop steppers with the uh, communications options you added some more communications options so can you tell us about that and why they were introduced what was the the needs
2: they were fulfilling? Well, we've talked a lot about our AZ series in the past because of the PR work you guys do for us, and, and it's all been very good. Thank you. Um, the, the AZ series is one of our flagship products. It's a it's a sophisticated closed-loop stepper motor series, and that's um, a product that Oriental Motor have invested a lot of time, effort, and development in over the years. Um, the AZ series actually, we, we sell them as a, a wide range of stepper motors with various different gearheads and the like but they also um, are the basis for all of our actuators so our linear actuators rotary actuators um, that they really are our key flagship product now a lot of people don't really know that much about closed-loop stepper motors um, People have uh, people who've been in the industry a long time know stepper motors of old, open loop steppers that um, may have been very good for simple tasks, but not so good for more sophisticated tasks, um, and um, they're not aware of that kind of product. Now, where the AZ series comes in um, into its own is in comparison with servo motors. Um, and servo motors, they're they're excellent. They are absolutely excellent motors, and there's a very good reason why they're so prevalent in the industry. Um, They're they're all singing, all dancing, high speed, high torque, um, indexing motors. Um, But you don't need them for every application. And if you are looking for um, high positional accuracy without uh, the high speed and high torque, you can actually save a lot of money by going down the closed-loop stepper motor route. And that's not because it's an inferior product, it's because it's a different product that doesn't have um, every aspect of a servo motor. And in fact, in some ways, they are superior to a servo motor on certain applications. Uh, Take, for example, positional accuracy with indexing. For high-speed indexing, Um, and positional control, a closed loop stepper motor can actually give you superior performance to a high-end servo motor. And that's simply due to the nature of manufacture. Um, With a servo motor, um, the internal construction is somewhere between 12 and 16 poles, depending on the motor. And in that case, each pole covers several degrees of your 360 degree rotational um, circuit. Whereas with the AZ series stepper, for example, the stepper is a thousand steps hardware. So the step angle is 0.36 degrees immediately. And that's before taking into account any microstepping. So when you are instructing a servo motor to go to a very definite position, just pulling something out of the air, say 60.5 degrees, the servo motor will get there, but it's using electronic control to stay in that position. one of the best comparisons I've, I've heard is, uh, it's a little odd, but bear with me, um, is of a circus performer standing on a ball. And if you were to look him in the face when he's stationary, you'd look like he was completely still. But if you look down at his feet, you'll see his feet are moving back and forth constantly to keep him in that same position. And that's kind of what's going on inside a servo motor. It's a very clever system, it's a very, very good system, but it is all relying on electronic control. Whereas with the stepper motor, if you're going to that defined point, you just move directly there and stop. There's none of this moving backwards and forwards. Um, Another advantage on the stepper is because the servos um, rely on that electronic control. They can be sensitive to things like um, temperature changes or humidity changes. And so you need to retune that servo motor for that environment to then get that very accurate positioning again. Whereas the stepper, you don't have to worry about that at all because of the way it's manufactured. Now in the past our said series despite the great hardware didn't have the most well used comm systems in the industry we used Modbus RTU which is a good system but it's a, it's a bit old now oh, uh, link, um CC link um all of them good systems for for what they what they're used for but they're not the biggest names in the industry so in this year we have introduced um Ethercat which is very well known um and used a lot in multi-axis applications um and we've also introduced ethernet ip and um I have to say, the, the pickup from it has been absolutely fantastic. Um, we clued in a number of our existing customers who um, used some of our products, but also used products from other manufacturers because of those comp systems. And um, right the very day they arrived, we were getting some quite large orders from them because they knew it was coming and they, they already liked the AZ series. So it's um it's gone very, very well, I have to say.
0: You're talking about the the new comms options, you were saying people were uh, picking up on orders of those from from day one, which is excellent. Mm. Do you think there'll be more automation as industry takes on social distancing when people start going back into the workplace? Do you think you're in the right industry, the right market? I think. (laughs) The million-dollar
1: question, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah,
2: isn't it just? But, um, yeah, I mean... Automation, manufacturing, it, it all progresses with time. Um, whether this whole coronavirus situation had come in or not, I think that um, automation was growing on a annual basis anyway. I mean, certainly in the last two years before this situation ever arose, we were already seeing a big increase in, um, in factory automation equipment. Um, I'll clarify that a little bit. A lot of our customers make machines um, for various different industries to sell into um, factories of various natures um, and that's fantastic, but we're actually seeing a, a very big increase in demand for moving products around those factories, not just the machines that are being used to manufacture products in those factories. So. In the past, of course, um, things like conveyors um, have been very commonly used for a lot of years. Um, And in recent years, some of those conveyors have become very sophisticated. Um, And more recently, um, things like AGVs, automated guided vehicles, um, are becoming more and more common. Um, I think uh, it was very well known a few years ago that Amazon were using them in their warehouses, for example. Um, And uh, that got a lot of buzz talking about them. Now, in terms of our own products, moving from um, conveyor systems to AGVs was, was a fairly logical step, actually. Um, so I think that that's, uh, that's something that's kind of happened naturally over time, regardless of the situation or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What will change with this uh, situation Um, will be how those systems are implemented in factories now. I think there may be more of an increase in demand for them, sure. Um, But I think a lot of people are afraid that the automation will replace workers in factories. I don't really see that happening, even with this situation that we're dealing with right now. I think that the reality is that those automated systems will work alongside engineers and workers in factories and make their job little bit easier for them so that they can focus on things in different ways um it won't replace people it will complement people and it will allow them to work uh, more efficiently and in this time more safely so i think yeah i think automation will be a very positive thing for the return to work for a lot of people
1: i think that's a very i think that's a very just to sort of cut in there on that it's a very key point about all of this is that actually using technology and automation and all these things they they are they can assist us rather than replace us and we'd all sort of you know I've said this before we've talked to people that before the pandemic we kind of sort of you know saw it one or the other you either had to see people or you but do you know what I mean whereas now it's we've had to sort of unite everything together and so I think that's a really valid point that you've just said there Paul is that it, it's Great for safety, but also it's it's going to make people better and more productive at what they're doing. You know, more efficient, which is a is a good thing for everyone. We've all got to learn how to be more efficient, basically. And I think you know we should take that with us going forwards, rather than just try and revert back to type before this, because it is a it's a new way of doing things now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, Paul, how will the choice of motors that uh, are available from Oriental Motor promote this? move, this parallel move of uh, automation helping workers?
2: Um, Actually, in a a lot of ways, it's already doing so. Um, As I I touched on uh, a moment ago, we we already were very, very strong in uh, the conveyor industry. And that's largely down to our brushless DC motors. Um, They are very efficient, compact and powerful motors, which um, in a lot of places are replacing traditional AC motors. They've got fantastic speed and torque stability um, and um, they've even got the ability to um, take regenerative energy um, back into recharging batteries in, in systems that require that sort of thing. Um, so the, the move from conveyors into AGVs was, was quite an easy one with that technology, really. It was just the next logical step. And um, even before all of this was going on, we already had uh, a lot of AGV interest, really. Um, three of our biggest customers in Europe are AGV manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And they're going from strength to strength. Um, we supply motors in the UK to um, uh, various different manufacturers for their own AGV um, systems mm-hmm. in their own factories. So what I think we can probably see is that some of these platforms will accelerate um, into... into areas that they we may not have expected them to go um, by now. Um, effectively, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, I think that this whole situation and the need for worker safety and and distancing in factories will actually push this technology further, quicker, than it would have done naturally anyway. Um, and we're very well positioned to help with that. We've, we've got the experience already, we've got the right products for it, and uh, we're more than, more than happy and willing to have a conversation with anyone looking to go into that sort of area
0: Mm. so that that's good news that it's accelerating what you think will be the natural flow of things if people are going to be maybe caught a little bit unawares because it's quicker than they thought how will oriental motor be supporting customers to maybe introduce some of these uh, motors into robotic systems
2: okay yeah that's that's a very fair question actually um To be honest, I think that we will do so just simply by working the way we always have. Um, We've always tended to be rather more collaborative um, with our customers than some other suppliers. Um, And we we tend, if anything, to to work almost on a consultative basis before we actually ever sell anything into a customer. um, Largely to ensure that they're getting the right product for the application that they are looking at. And sometimes it can, it can make a very big difference. We, we do get people approaching us with something in mind, and we take a look at the details of the application and say, well, actually, this would probably fit this sort of product a little bit better. Um, so for example with the agv side of things people are coming to us and occasionally asking for servos and we might look at something like a brushless dc motor which is far cheaper but they it has everything that they need on it um so that's that's a that's a key thing we'll we'll always continue with that key customer interaction and support um and as these newer technologies come along well it's really up to us to inform our customers of what's available. Um, So it's a very very big very complex industry with an absolutely enormous range of possible products to use and it's up to us really to make sure that if somebody comes to us for a uh, for a particular solution that we find them the best solution possible. Um, One thing that's that's I think always been key for us is the way we're structured we're not commission based or anything like that so that means that when we um, when we look at a product for a customer for their solution it's because we really do think it's the right product for what they're trying to achieve it's not because I'm gonna make some more money off selling you a motor A mm. instead of motor B it's because we really do have that kind of passion for getting this this right for people and allowing them to therefore sell their product as, as good as it can possibly be to their end customer mm-hmm. and you to know, take it from there so yeah focusing on the needs of the customer and focusing on the best solution for it and um, as time goes on and, and things get more and more sophisticated in our industry that's going to become more and more key I think.
0: So even if things uh, accelerate you'll always keep that consultative guiding role partnership with your customers.
2: Yes indeed yeah I mean we we very much you know we we're not an off the shelf supplier we we like to interact with our customers we like to help them out where we can we like to be that voice of um of knowledge, really. I mean, mm. it, it's our product. We can't expect our customer to know everything about it from having a look at a catalogue or seeing it on an advert, yeah. and especially with the complexity of these modern automation solutions. So I think that having that kind of position is is something that's going to be very important for our customers and any customers we might have in the future to help them get the very best out of the product and get the best product for their, uh, for their needs.
1: And I think it's with people when they get... You know, with working with Oriental for some time, as I have done, your customer service and care, people get a good experience when they deal with you. And so people remember those good experiences, don't they? I mean, more than ever now. I mean, um, you know, it's very it's that that looking after customers and that aftercare that you provide is is one, of I would say, one of the key strengths that you have as an organization.
2: Yeah, thank you. And it's something that we're very proud of, I have to say.
1: That's interesting, yeah. and I just want to ask you, Paul. Just so I'm going to pick your brain before you go. So, yeah, how go what do you do? You, how do you how do you think the next few months are going to sort of pan out? What's your What's your gut feels about the next few weeks and months, sort of as we approach into September and out of the summer months? Because in the engineering sector, as we know, people go on holiday normally, and all sorts of things are happening during the summer term, and we've all been sort of tucked topsy turvyed up a bit at the moment so it's it's all very strange isn't it but um you know what, what's what's the sort of feeling on the feeling on the oriental floor as it were of how things are going to be over the next few weeks or is it a watch and watch and see like the rest of us are doing
2: well it's the million dollar question isn't it yeah um i don't think anybody really knows mm. i think if anybody is t- is standing there telling you they know exactly what's going to happen they're not either being honest with you or with themselves um the the it's it's, it's too big yeah Um, there's too much going on there's too many variables and we just don't know it's an Mm. unprecedented situation so all we can really do is be there for our customers as best we can Mm. and if things you know take a turn for the worse we'll support them as best we can as we've been doing now we've got a little bit of experience on it now We, we know what kind of challenge with the situation we may run into so hopefully we'll be a bit more prepared than we were back in the end of march um when it first kicked in um but um that's all we can do just keep doing what we do and and keep our nose to the grindstone
1: amazing you've got my <laughs> vote paul <laughs>
0: well, thank you you've very got much. my
1: vote definitely <laughs> oh well i mean thank you so much for talking to us about everything there's there's so much to cover with you guys I feel like we might have to talk to you again in the future at some point Um, I'd be more than happy to thank you very much it's it's been uh, great (laughs) it's been great to
2: be on here talking to you all
1: yeah absolutely thank you
0: that was enlightening wasn't it they they managed the balancing act in these circumstances and uh, really no one had prepared for this at all
1: no and i mean it is always interesting to hear how companies are managing through these strange times i mean that was our idea really wasn't it about putting the podcast together to see how people have coped and their experiences so far but we'll be back with another podcast soon i'm nicole ps turner and i'm caroline hayes
0: and we were talking
1: to paul jepson Thank you for listening. This is That Podcast by Chatty Hatter, your media and marketing partner. To get in touch, email us at hello at chattyhatter.com or visit chattyhatter.com.